chaos and confusion that has rocked the first major political contest of the year. The Iowa caucuses has been a fiasco. But tonight, the unprecedented delay. Complete meltdown of the, of the voting process. Well, guys, it was rigged. Hello Hi. to everyone except the Iowa Democratic Party. What is still unfolding in Iowa. Uh, and we're still asking, when are we going to get results from Iowa? Had a bumpy start to the Democratic process yesterday in Iowa. We are still awaiting the results from Iowa. At some point, the results will be announced. Last Monday, the country watched the Iowa caucus, a storied political institution, completely break down. In an election with a turnout of less than 200,000 people, we did not see even close to all precincts report their results until days later. Since then, we've learned more details about this failure, from a broken and insecure reporting app to entirely incorrect or missing data in the final reporting results. As of this recording, journalistic outfits like the AP and New York Times have not yet called the election for one candidate. With former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg less than one-tenth of one percentage point ahead in a complicated measure of state delegate equivalents, and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders winning the popular vote by several thousand people. In Delaware, thankfully, we do not hold caucuses. Every election in the state is held with a secret ballot where one person gets one vote. However, this Iowa fiasco is just another blow to the public faith in our institutions, particularly our elections. For the last four years, election security and hacking have been hot topics. Our president has publicly accused millions of people of casting illegal ballots in the 2016 election, and to some people it may seem that you could show up on election day without your vote being accurately reported. To gain insight into what our public officials here in Delaware are doing to make sure that that cannot happen, I spoke to State Representative Paul Bombeck, who is at this year's Iowa caucus and has helped lead efforts for voting reform in our state, and Delaware Elections Commissioner Anthony Albans, who is on the front lines of ensuring that our elections work. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. I'm Paul Baumbach. I'm a state, a state representative from the 23rd District, the west and north side of Newark. I was first elected in November 2012. And I am talking to you today because you were just up in the great state of Iowa for the Iowa caucuses. I was. I was there from Friday morning through Tuesday morning. I uh, did some door knocking, went to a campaign event or two, um, and worked a precinct. Uh, on Monday night, which was uh, quite an experience. So I want to start sort of broadly. Speaking as someone who's an elected official, you've been through the elected electoral process here in Delaware. Uh, you were in a primary at the very beginning. 2012, right? yes. yes. What are some of the biggest differences that you noticed in, in Iowa and what they were doing? So the first thing is, um, in my case, uh, when I'm meeting voters on the doorsteps, I'm pitching for myself. So you know, being there pitching for a presidential candidate was a different experience. Um, but what was the same is you're there on someone's uh, porch and you're you know asking what's important to them, um, sharing what you think uh, the candidate uh, brings to them that they should be uh, considering and trying to uh, encourage them to take part in the in the upcoming election. Um, did you actually go into a caucus and see it happen? Yes. Uh, so the, I went to um, Truman Elementary School. We had 203 voters who showed up. Um, we had representatives from about uh, seven different uh, campaigns there. Um, I was the precinct captain, which means the, the leading cheerleader uh, for the Joe Biden campaign. Um, and I was there to uh, get as many of those 203 people into uh, Joe's corner as we could. Uh, did people generally come into 
the elementary school knowing who they were going to caucus with? It's a great question. Um, most did, certainly a, a, a good majority, but I'd say maybe 20% came in who were still uncertain. Um, that you know gave us an opportunity to feel needed, um, so we got to you know give our pitch and, and try to out pitch the the other camps. Uh, so that was a, that was an interesting part and an uh, enjoyable part of the the experience. Uh, one, the team I had uh, included uh, State Senator Nicole Poor and her daughter Alexis. Um, so. Uh, frankly, they were really good at, at helping undecideds uh, see the strengths for, uh, of Joe Biden. People out in Iowa for the week before, weekend before an election um, were really open to people knocking on their doors on a Sunday midday. I mean, I was very shocked at that. Very, we were very welcomed. The issues um, in the presidential primary out in Iowa, um, the biggest one was uh, we want a candidate who can win. Uh, in November, we, you know, we want a different president of the United States. That was what was in common at all the doors, um, because it was, you know, well into the campaign season. Many of them had made up their mind, but because it's a caucus, um, many of them made up their mind for first choice, but they were open for second choice. So a lot of the time was spent at the doorstep talking about, well, I know you like this person, you know, for your first choice. Would you consider Joe Biden as your second choice? Um, and that certainly is. Uh, an approach that just is foreign to Delaware. If we had ranked choice voting, then maybe we'd care about that. But uh, in a caucus situation, you're definitely looking not just for first choice candidates. I know in Delaware, we have a law that you can't electioneer within a certain distance of a polling place, and you were doing it inside. And that must create a, a really different feeling. It was, uh, yes, it was. It was very different. It was also very interesting to me that the people running the site were also voters in that district who had preferences for a camp. So I'm there in one camp, and the people running the site are actually supporting a different presidential candidate. That felt uncomfortable. I didn't ex see that coming. I get it. It's, you know, in Iowa, it's a caucus kind of thing. Um, but given how, indeed, in, in Delaware, the people running the polls are go way out of their way to be impartial, um, having the opposite in Iowa was a bit of a shock. Um, frankly, I knew a bunch of what I was going to be responsible for, but one of the things that surprised me when I got there was I had to make a, like a two-minute speech for, for my candidate. I had no preparation for that. Um, but again, being in a essentially a polling location and making a pitch for a candidate is so completely foreign to an elected official or a voter in Delaware. Uh, it was, it was uh, certainly uh, interesting. Yeah. Those people who were actually in charge, where were they coming from? From the, the people in charge, in, in at least in this case, and I think in most cases, came from the district that was voting. That precinct is like an election district. Um, so they were locals, and they uh, presumably uh, applied to the local county party and said, you know, I'm interested or I'm willing or I seek being, you know, one of the people running the, the site and presumably have some process to select them. So they were volunteers for the party and not, say, like the— Department of State or anything like that? My understanding is that uh, they went to their local county Democratic Party uh, and said, we'd like to um, be helping the, the precinct on caucus night. Overall, how do you think things ran in your caucus location? Um, it, it ran reasonably well. Uh, it wasn't flawless. There were changes to the process um, this year versus previous cycles. Um, there were there were paper cards that actually I think were relatively well designed. There was a tally sheet, uh, one per per site, that 
in hindsight, was really, really important because the technology was failing. So having that paper backup uh, really mattered. Uh, and it was signed off, and I have a picture of my phone to make sure in case it was lost in transit, you know, I, I had it uh, as a backup for the campaign. Um, it was, uh, it, it worked well enough. It was within my expectation of how I was, what I was led to believe in, in my training uh, for it that I had that morning, I guess it was uh, Monday morning. Um, it, uh, it worked well enough that the people, in some cases, it was the first time they'd done it. In some cases, they've been doing it for 50 years. Uh, again, it was different from past times, um, and uh, the the part that was the most most unusual for me was the round two. You know, once you have chosen your first choice, um, if you are in a camp that already has you know that threshold of you know fifteen percent or so, um, then you're locked in. So they sort of don't matter, but they do matter because then they're going to go out and try to convince the people who are supporting the non-viable candidates to come over to the camp. Um, what a unique experience um, that you sort of had to be there to to understand, um, and it was illuminating, um, frustrating at times, um, but uh, very American, maybe very Midwestern, um, and uh, it was interesting. I'm not sure I would recommend it for anyone to add, um, and I think you know I probably share much of the country's view that it might be a good thing to be the last time Iowa has it as the first. Uh, a contest, but uh, I was glad I was there. Several times throughout the night, you're talking about um, the realignment and all that thing. Several times throughout the night in the caucus, you actually have to count votes. The counting of the votes has become a problem since then, but that night when you were watching it, it was going relatively smoothly. Right. The um, the counting of the votes, I don't think it was largely not a problem. There, there, there was questions. Um, one of the people in our camp who was, uh, had been an organizer for the Biden campaign was frustrated with some of the procedures, some of the directions that the, that the person in charge of the site gave as, as being not wonderful. Um, the counting, I think, was done very accurately. And we d- doubled and triple counted. Both I did for my camp and then they did, and we made sure we matched our results and you know, they worked. There was you know, no questions on the counting. Um, you know, the problems haven't been the counting. The problems have been the reporting from the precinct to the state uh, party, and, and there there have been substantial problems. So by the time, um, once we were, it took us a while. We had, we were in a, I'll say a carpool um, of volunteers who were at several different precincts. We were the last precinct that got picked up because we took the longest. Um, once, our, once our role was done, once all the counts were done for our precinct, and we all signed off on the final sheet, and I had pictures of that, um, at that point we left, and we went to a gathering place uh, with volunteers who had been at a whole bunch of different precincts, and we had the TV on, and then we started realizing we're not getting results, and there's a reason for that. Um, and then you started seeing candidates, you know, declaring victory without having data or at least verified data. Um, I, I think we felt the same way as the country, although we felt like, you know, we'd put our own, you know, sweat, blood, sweat and tears into it uh, first. Um, you know, really very disappointed that uh, it was unfolding the way it did. Um, and, uh, you know, still, you know, confident that, um, you know, good people were, were doing their best to get it right. Um, but that there were uh, barriers that were keeping them from getting the results out in the timeline that we all expected. Yeah, I follow a lot of Delaware elections. You know, the city 
um, school uh, board level and referendums, and then, of, of course, the political campaigns and their results. Um, I love the fact that we've got that online access to the results uh, in a pretty timely manner. Um, we also, uh, for you know, many of the campaigns, uh, and many of the elections will be at the doors of the polling locations and taking pictures of the vote count as they come out of the machines and then you know, calling them into the campaign. And we often know before anything's posted online um, that uh, access to trusted data uh, I think we take for granted uh, in Delaware, and I think the Department of Elections um, earns that uh, faith by working so hard to being uh, reliable and dependable um, and accessible. Uh, we have obviously in the, in the past year or so updated, uh, replaced our voting machines, um, and it's uh, th these are very big improvements over the past ones. There are still issues that, that um, some folks uh, have disagreements with and, and don't like the, the new ones. Um, I don't think anyone can disagree that the new ones are head and shoulders better than the past ones. Uh, there is a paper record. These are auditable. Um, they um, are also simple to use. And the, uh, um, the, DO, the Department of Elections has uh, demoed these in a zillion places, you know, libraries and senior centers and city halls and all over the place. Um, I think one of the concerns I saw most recently is the actual process of signing you in and making sure that you're supposed to vote there could take way longer than the voting itself. Um, so the voting systems themselves, I think, are uh, high quality and give Delaware voters reason to be very trust uh, trusting in, in how they're used. I've also had many meetings with uh, people in Department of Elections, and I've got faith that they've got the right people making the right decisions they're worrying about the same concerns that you want them to be worrying about, about hacking, um, about any irresponsible actions. Um, I had one meeting uh, with one of the leading tech people for DOE, and I said, you know, where's our biggest vulnerability? And he said, it's our employees. Um, if you have someone you know, with a spear fisher, they get an email and they click on it and they shouldn't, they do it from their work computer and someone figures out and a bad person gets in there and gets their password and then gets into the mainframe, it's not the voting machines. It's where the data from the voting machines goes that you've got the biggest vulnerability, and that's where you need to have two-factor, you know, authentication and, and three-factor if needed. I mean, there are um, th there are steps for it, and it's needed. And certainly at this time, when you've got bad actors out there, it's really important. And this is certainly not lost on Delaware's Department of uh, Elections. So our legislature has been really involved the last few years in making sure that our elections are secure and open and accessible. What do you think we can continue to do in Delaware to make sure more people can get out there and vote and to make sure that our elections are secure and, and safe? It's a great question. And when I was out in Iowa, I was I knocked on doors of this one couple and said, we can't, we can't vote. We've got kids and we've got a, they've got four different directions they're going to on Monday night and we've got to drive them there. Uh, I had someone else who said, you know, my husband and I are both working tomorrow night. We can't caucus. And a third woman said, I'm going, but my husband can't. He can't stand for that long. Um, and, and they just in the past haven't made that accessible. Um, we do not have those problems in Delaware. Um, we've, I think, just passed our no excuse absentee, which is really important. You know, there was a point when my, uh, you know, my mother passed away last year, but there was a point where, you know, I could have gotten a call on the morning of election day and said, probably better rush back to Baltimore. Um, and I, no, no question, that's where I would have gone. Um, I wouldn't have known that in advance. And you, 
the way that our old system was, there are all these barriers to being able to get an absentee. You need to have a no-excuse no absentee. Um, there's other improvements that uh, we've achieved, and there's other achie uh, uh, achievements uh, that we aim for that we haven't gotten yet to make voting more accessible um, to people. There's, uh, I'm going to say, especially younger voters um, often may you know move apartments and not think, oh, I need to change my voting address, and that can keep you from voting um, at the the local uh, location. Um, you know that's solvable, and and there are states that have you know, mail-in uh, voting. There are improvements to make sure that voting is more accessible. That Delaware does not yet do. In some cases, we're hampered um, by the current wording of the of our state constitution. Um, that's that's on the table, and so you know, uh, changing the constitution, we're going to need to make sure we you know work in a bipartisan way, um, and we should in most cases. Um, but you know, I think that. We all should be dedicated to making sure that voting is accessible uh, to every legal voter uh, in our state, and, and hopefully uh, all my colleagues are as committed as I am to that. Yeah, I'm Anthony Albans. I'm the State Election Commissioner with the Department of Elections. Anthony, I think people in your position across the country right mm -hmm. now are feeling pretty lucky that they don't work in Iowa. <laughs> right. <laughs> Feel for the folks in Iowa, sure. Yeah. I think that that event is um, possibly shaking some people's confidence mm -hmm. in our election institutions, sure. in mm -hmm. the way that our elections work in this country. Right. And um, what I wanted to talk to you about today was... Uh, what are we doing in Delaware to mm -hmm. ensure that our elections are safe, protected, accurate, mm -hmm. transparent, sure. and all of those things? Sure. And I guess a good place to start would just to be maybe talk about the differences between what we have in Iowa. And I mm -hmm. would start by saying, like, in Iowa, the caucus is run by... Political parties. Correct, that, right. That's right. Mm -hmm. You are and, not a partisan. Correct, official. right, exactly. Um, yeah, the state election commissioner is appointed, you know, by the governor, of course, confirmed by the Senate, but we're apolitical um, in our uh, administration of elections, and that's we take that, you know, very seriously, all of our staff. Um, everything is handled, you know, completely in a nonpartisan manner. So you're right, we don't have, you know, that situation. I mean, many years ago, we had caucuses in Delaware, um, and Delaware moved to, a, you know, a primary um, system, you know, quite some now, quite some time ago, administered by the Department of Elections, administered by the state government. So um, we have, you know, really a whole different approach. Um, we handle, like for example, any election, you know, whether it be the presidential primary or the state primary, state general, um, anywhere from that to a local election, school election, in the same manner in terms of our concern with and attention to um, preparation, uh, risk limiting sorts of things, um, as well as ensuring, you know, accurate delivery and timely delivery of the results. You know, certainly accuracy and timeliness go hand in hand. Everyone wants the results quickly, but of course they want it accurately. So obviously both ideally is the ultimate, ultimate result, of course, so that everyone would like. And I want to talk about how we report those results because mm -hmm. that's part of what just broke down entirely in mm -hmm. Iowa. But I think in Delaware, at least in my experience, results mm -hmm. come in fairly quickly. So do. how does that process work? They do. We work really closely um, with, you know, and we have for many years, um, between elections and Department of Technology and Information and the state DTI. Um, we work very much hand in hand in terms of the reporting. And so we have very secure means to report the results. And again, it's always important to remember as well that our results on election night are unofficial results so that they are um, always verified. We have what's called canvassing of results 
results later, um, a term maybe be familiar to many folks, which is really a checking of the results, reconfirming details before the results are made official. So you do have the unofficial results on election night that we try to report, you know, as quickly as possible and again as accurately, which is what folks are, are wanting to see. But our um, long-standing partnership with DTI is really critical to that, so we can ensure that the results are coming in um, in a timely manner. But again securely. We want to have, make sure we have good quality. And so our planning uh, with them, you know, has started, you know, already we've been working for any, every election cycle we work, you know, for quite a long lead time with them um, to plan and to ensure that everything's in place. There's always extensive testing that's done, that's run before election night. We actually have scenarios that we run that simulate election night reporting. And that's a common practice, you know, that we do throughout any uh, prep for any election, you know, that we're reporting. Um, certainly, you know, a statewide election, of course. You can have challengers in the in the polling place, and we're working now um, with our new systems. We have some additional tools that will make that process even, you know, more convenient, more streamlined. But you know, part of Delaware law, Delaware code, is challengers are allowed in the polling place, and challengers basically, uh, in a primary, you know, can be representatives of a candidate in a general election, representatives of the parties that are on the ballot, and um, those individuals have an opportunity to observe the uh, operations um, that's that are happening. Um, they you know, traditionally a challenger, um, despite, you know, what the, the name indicates, they can always, of course, make a challenge to someone's eligibility to vote, hence the, the name. But uh, generally their primary role really is to um, observe, you know, of course, who's voting. And obviously that's, you know, very important for candidates and parties in terms of tracking um, voter turnout and things like that. So we have that. We have a very close relationship. Um, but we encourage, you know, a very good close working relationship between our election officers, the poll workers, and the challengers. They're both there in the polling place. They both have different jobs, but they're all part of the system and work together. And generally, that's a, a really good relationship that happens on Election Day. Now, since you do go through simulations mm -hmm. of Election Day and that sort of mm -hmm. thing, can you talk at all about any problems that you have run into in past elections mm -hmm. or could run into and what would be done to solve them? Well, what we do in the in the testing process is we just ensure that we have the connectivity that, that we need at the various facilities that we use um, to report results. Now, one of the things that we do, and for many, many years, um, we reported results. Um, we, we In Delaware, we call them zones, which is where the results are, are taken to on election night from the actual polling places. And they're, they're, they're the uh, systems in place are used to you know, feed the results in and then ultimately report the unofficial results through those secure channels we use in partnership with DTI. Now, we've always used, um, you know, state uh, facilities, basically. And in recent years, we, we've even tightened that security up even more to ensure higher levels, even even higher levels of security and in terms of um, efficiency, because we use only facilities that are within the state's network, the state's, uh, behind the state's firewall that, again, on partnership with DTI to ensure that the connectivity is not, a, is not an issue. However, with that being said, we still go out there and run a test at all, full test at all facilities. Uh, we run scenarios um, in indicating different, um, uh, bringing in different elements from, from the field, various different um, uh, districts, locations, a whole variety of things to test any of the potential vulnerabilities 
percentage of you know, potential failure points out there. And uh, generally, we've had a very good track record on that. You know, um, nothing's perfect. I mean, we're only human, of course, but we do our, our best to anticipate problems. Well, one of the requirements when we went to the new system of voting machines, one of the prerequisites was that we have the paper ballot uh, backup, which we do have, and they're fully auditable. Uh, they are the ballot of record. Um, they are used for audits. They are used for any recounts, you know, that are needed. Just to give you one real-world example, uh, we had just a, you know, a, a real-world note. We did have, for example, in December of 19, we had a referendum election uh, up in Newcastle County, and uh, we just yesterday finished a, another round of the audits that we do that are prescribed by the code. We did an initial audit, and then we did a secondary audit level of audit. Uh, for example, this secondary level where we were auditing all the machines in one randomly selected polling place, literally counting every ballot by hand, the human readable text on the ballot, um, individuals, I was one of them, reading them, recounting them. Um, of course, everything came out 100% as we expect. So um, the poll, the, the paper trail is a very big uh, piece of that, and we knew that going into getting this new equipment. It's also important to remember, you know, some folks may hear uh, different scenarios of different types of reporting in some localities uh, that involve modems, things like that. We don't have anything like that in Delaware. These machines are not um, capable of being connected to the internet. That was one of the uh, intentional um, prerequisites when we purchased the equipment. Everything that is reported is actually, and it's kind of similar to our old machines, it's a little different format, but a media that comes out of the machine is transported to one of these locations in, in, where the unofficial results are securely transmitted. So the machines themselves are never connected to any outside source, never capable of being connected to any outside uh, internet connectivity, anything like that. So basically, they can't be hacked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, we keep them. You know, in um, you know any as we like to say. You know, it's all about you know you putting into place the security means, and we have a, of course a lot of security in place on the equipment. You know, while before it's in the polling place, when it's transported, when it's in the polling place, when it comes back from the polling place, we have chains of custody, various uh, methods that we ensure that that's maintained. So that that's really the key. You know, for any any equipment out there. You know. Just like you know your your router on a home network or your you know your work network, and again, just ensuring that we have best practices in place. Um, are there any improvements to? just using these voting machines that voters might experience? Well, I think there's a couple uh, things that I would bring uh, to mind. The voter's going to have the similar experience they were used to with the old machines, a full-face ballot, graphical representation of the ballot. What would be nice uh, for folks, I think, to experience is that if, if, you, if you have um, a situation where you may have uh, limited um, visibility, limited vision, if you may have uh, any sort of a auditory uh, impairment of any sort. These machines have a really uh, enhanced level of sophistication in terms of, of accommodating folks and providing them a similar voting experience. Our old machines did have that, but the technology was was such that it was older technology, and it was it we did the best we could. Um, these have some features, for example, whereas um, the old machines did not, where you can increase uh, the, the size of the ballot on the screen. You can um, implement a, con a, a contrast situation where someone has a, a challenge with uh, viewing certain colors 
colors that you can view, like a black and white version, high contrast version. Plus, we have a device called the Universal Voting Console, which what that enables folks to do is to interact with the ballot in a different way. Audio recordings of the ballot, which we had before, but what's a real advantage now is that in the old system, you were pretty much locked in once you began that process of listening to the ballot in an audio format. Again, these are a lot more sophisticated. You can actually, as I say, dip in, dip out of the of the ballot. If you want to use the audio for a certain portion, you can. Then you can go back to interacting with the screen visually. Um, these UVC consoles also have Braille representations. They have differently shaped um, buttons, raised edges. They also have a big advantage that we didn't have previously. It has an input for different modalities that folks may have. If someone in, uh, into, interacts through a sip and puff method, if someone has a different method of, of um, interaction, that's uh, able to be supported now, which was not previously. These accessibility options are really important. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're describing all of them, I think to some of the people who've been voting for a long time, maybe started out with a pen and paper, mm -hmm. it might sound like this is a little complicated. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how are poll workers and even voters uh, being trained, or are they mm -hmm. going to be ready to vote when they walk in on election sure. day? We've actually we've been using the machines um, in in elections um, throughout the state, whether they be you know local elections, municipal, uh, school referenda. We use them statewide in the school board. We've had a lot. We are, we really extensively train poll workers every time there is an election, and that's in our, our state law. Regardless of how long you've been a poll worker, we are required, you are required to attend training before every election. And it's a full training, it's not abbreviated, so everyone hears the same information, because there's always a, a change. But a big, you know, it certainly has been a, a, a big shift with the new machines, and we've revamped our training and updated it. Um, we're really giving folks a lot of opportunities, poll workers, to interact with the machines outside of just training. We've actually engaged a lot of our poll workers as demonstrators, and they're actually helping us with the demonstrations out in the community. So that's helping them become more familiar with the machines too. Um, but extensive training and, and relentless training and continuous training, that's really the answer to all that. I want to talk about something a little bit different, mm -hmm. talk about data. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a buzzword. Everybody's mm -hmm. thinking sure. about it. And something that's come out of the caucuses, just mm -hmm. to return to that, is mm -hmm. the reporting app they used was found to be pretty insecure. Right. Um, and there is plenty of voter data out there here sure. in Delaware that people sure. use. So mm -hmm. um, when you go in and vote or when you register mm -hmm. to vote or mm -hmm. whatever you do, mm -hmm. what part of that data becomes public mm -hmm. and what part of that stays private forever? Mm -hmm. And Del Delaware has Delaware has a very um, open stance on data, you know, generally. So voter registration data um, is available to the public. Uh, Delaware has different grid, uh, gradations, I'll call them, for data depending on uh, if it's for public use, if it's for use, you know, requesting by candidates or for state agencies, for example. But what we what we don't do certainly is uh, the the very sensitive public information like your social security number, things like that. Years, you know, years ago, as with many many um, situations, these were used to identify you. We no longer do things like that. Those are safeguards that we put in place actually a long time ago, even before it became buzzword. You know, all voters in Delaware, for example, have a randomly assigned nine-digit number, voter ID, which is really has no use outside of voter registration, really. So uh, that's just one, you know, one example of that. You know, we um, public other other con, you know concerns sometimes that come 
come to us is, you know, several years ago, we implemented the um, collection voluntarily, of course, of email addresses, because we can use email through our systems now to communicate with you. That type of information is never released publicly. Um, and, you know, people are, I know people are very, you know, very concerned about that. So we do take, you know, make sure every effort, you know, is in place that that personal, that very sensitive personal information is not out there while at the same time complying with what is the law. Because like I said, this, our state's committed to being an open open state in terms of data. But it's a, it's a fine line that you walk, you know, and we want folks to know that we take their, their, their data very seriously. And, you know, when folks interact with our systems, whether they update their registration online or vote, you know, register online, we have, you know, very secure means that you need to identify yourself by to prevent uh, those individuals from going in, you know, who are not you know, authorized to do so. So, but it, but it is something, and I think you know, just to jump off on that, one thing I want to add that we really take seriously, and, it, and I'll be honest with you, it was something years ago when I got involved with elections was never on the radar, um, is cybersecurity in general. I mean, I mentioned DTI and earlier, and we have a very strong relationship with DTI. Delaware's fortunate because, like a lot of things in our state, um, voting uh, elections is a state-administered function, and we have a uniform state department of elections. A lot, most jurisdictions around the country, elections is handled on a very localized level, county, municipality. You can have differences from county to county, city to city. So we're fortunate in having that standardization, but not just with DTI. We work really, really closely with our federal partners, Department of Homeland Security, uh, CISA, uh, Cyber and Infrastructure uh, Agency that um, works um, very closely with safeguarding critical infrastructure, which elections, you know, has uh, has been declared, you know, back in 2016. And we also work with outside organizations. There is an elections infrastructure, um, multi-state information and analysis center, EI, ISAC, things like that, that are clearing houses for best practices. Um, and also communication, as I've said, that's the key. We, you know, we have very regular meetings with our federal and state partners. Again, Delaware being a small state, we all can sit around the table and we can all get on a conference call very easily and talk about the issues and act quickly. Um, and I think what folks in the public can be, I think, rest assured in knowing is that in Delaware, all this is, is handled in a very collaborative way. There's not um, a lot of kind of real, you know, kind of like, this is my turf, this is your turf. We all are together, whether it's, again, elections, DTI, whether it's the state police, Capitol Police, you know, whether it's the National Guard, all of our partners, we all know we're in this, you know, together. And it's all, we all focus on the ultimate goal, which is security, integrity of the process, and you know, ensuring people trust the process, which is so key. Yeah. To follow up on that, mm -hmm. I want to ask you mm -hmm. a question. It's probably going to seem pretty simple and obvious sure, to you, no but um, I've knocked a lot of doors in my mm -hmm. lifetime, mm -hmm. and I think there's something I would like you to clear up. Oh, sure. There is public data to, mm -hmm. do, with your mm -hmm. to do with your voting history mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that if you request that data, you can see when someone has voted. Correct. That's right. But neither you nor I know even though you're the elections commissioner, you ever <laughs> right. know who anyone has ever voted That's for? That's correct. Right? Okay. That's correct. Um, we take that extremely seriously. It's a very good question. I'm glad you asked it. A lot of people sometimes think when we say voting history, we mean how you voted. It just means participation in the election. You're right. We 
have t- safeguards in place that um, ensure that you know we we never know um, who you voted for. You know, and people also, you know, it, it's a good question you asked, like about even absentee voting. People ask about that. You know, and th- a lot of folks it's a common question over are they even counted? Yes, they are. Number one, um, and and even in those cases where you have someone physically sending it back a, a paper ballot, we have practices in place that ensure that you know as soon as those ballots come in or are checked in and they're logged, you know, they immediately, the folks that are handling them when they're beginning to be prepared to be tabulated um, and counted, that, you know, for example, one of the first steps that happens after they're checked in is they're opened and immediately separated from their envelope. I mean, it's a simple thing, but that just ensures that, and then they're never, they're separated and they're never brought together again. So we never see you know, who your vote, you know, who you voted for. There, you, but again, it's simple things like that people, you know, want to know. But you're right, we never know how you, you voted, absolutely. And we don't want to know <laughs> because that's your right. And then, and then the secret ballot is a, a fundamental right that we have. Mm-hmm. A thing that regardless of how well or not well they go, mm-hmm. uh, things like the Iowa caucuses have come under fire for in recent years sure. is how much they disenfranchise people. Sure. They're hard for accessibility reasons, Mm -hmm. they're hard for parents, they're hard for people that Mm -hmm. work night shifts. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people to get out and vote in a system like that. And uh, something that we've really focused on the last few years Mm -hmm. in this caucus, in this building, is uh, taking the right to vote and expanding it to as many people Mm-hmm. as possible to make sure that they're going to be able to do it. And right. For example, we're going to have early voting for the correct. first time ever in a couple of years, right, which is correct. really exciting. So this is more open-ended, but can you talk at mm-hmm. all about how, how much people are participating in Delaware in the elections process mm-hmm. and you know any thoughts on just making sure that as many people get out there and vote sure, as, as possible. Sure, sure. Yeah, our, you know, I think Delaware uh, historically has a, a pretty good record in terms of levels of participation. You know, we can always always do better. We always, you know, we always want to do better because that's such a fundamental right. You know, but as you mentioned, that you know, the General Assembly has taken actions in the past couple of years um, to increase opportunities, you know, for voting and early voting. As you mentioned, in 2022 will be a, um, a great example of that. Um, and I. Think I think, you know, we in elections, are like as I mentioned at the outset, of course, we're completely nonpartisan, but, you know, we want to be sure, you know, our, our goal, you know, is hand in hand with that to ensure as many people participate as possible. And we try through, we've tried through the years through implementing different um, technological uh, advancements in addition to some of these legislative changes, like you've mentioned, to just make sure that people have um better opportunities, more convenient opportunities to um, interact with us and to um, make sure that they are part of the process. And, you know, we're really proud of a lot of what we've been able to accomplish with our legislative partners on both sides of the aisle, you know, over the years, um, whether that be uh, online voter registration, whether that be these new technologies that we've been able to implement, whether it be the new things that are coming down the line, early voting. We just want folks to be as, to feel not just confident, but to feel you know that it's a convenient way um, to to work, and we know there are um, you know there will be certainly changes down the line. You know, technologically, I'm sure in the future um, that maybe even provide more opportunities. You know, we're not quite there yet. Maybe you know we won't get there for a long time. But um, you know, we're we're excited to you know just to make 
the opportunities available to as many people as possible. And uh, just to kind of try to keep Delaware, you know, ahead of the curve. I think we're, we've been ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And um, we can always learn, you know, from other states. But a lot of other states, I think, have learned from us. And, you know, we want to continue that kind of collaborative give and take. So... Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, and on Instagram, also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed. 